Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Good afternoon, Epiphany Church. You may be seated. You may be seated. You may be seated. You may be seated. Oh, great are you, Lord. Andrea. Andrea or Andrea? Andrea, excuse me. Andrea, you know, when you mentioned that Donald McReynolds song, all last night, it was on my heart. Let your troubles bring you to the cross. Let your struggles show that you need God. Let your battles in the way they should. Let your bad days prove that God is good. Let your whole life show that God is good. That has been in my heart since yesterday. This morning I got up singing it. I played it. And so that was confirmation when you mentioned it. And so Welcome those who are here, first-time visitors, whether you're in the building or online, welcome as they, as we always say, thanks for hanging out with us today. Thanks for hanging out, because you could have been anywhere else. So my name is Craig Holiday, and this is a shameless plug. My wife and I head up the marriage ministry here along with Matt and Chelsea and Thank you for all of those who have shown interest in being involved in the marriage ministry. And, and I want to just, I'm probably going to get in trouble for this one, but um, I, I want to encourage those who might be engaged, but even to those who might be single and want to get married, right? Don't, don't shy away from coming out because there's something you can learn before you go down that road. I always say there's always something we can learn from any sermon, any talk, any meeting. There's something we can take from that. And so I don't want to discourage you. And if you're here and you're happy in your singleness, praise God. Don't look down on that either because there's nothing wrong with being single. And so um, Continue to pray for Pastor B and Ty as they're on vacation, taking sabbatical. And I always, I'm always encouraged, you know, when I talk to Pastor B, the fact that he's very intentional and deliberate about ensuring that he takes time off. Um, I was sharing with the, the 930 church that it reminded me of a story I heard. And I don't know if it's true or not, but uh, a friend of mine told me that there were these two pastors having a conversation and one of the pastors was going on vacation for the first time in over like five years with his wife. And he was just going on about how encouraged he is, how much fun he's going to have being away from the congregation, not in a bad way, but a good way to get some rest and get refreshed and everything else. And the other minister looked at him and said, are you kidding me? I never take vacation. The devil is always busy. He's always roaming around seeking whom he can destroy. And so why would I take vacation? And the other minister kindly looked at him and said, well, thank God I don't serve the devil, but I serve Jesus. Because <laughs> even Jesus knew when it was time to take a vacation or get away from the disciples. 
And so that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I was saying earlier that um, I feel like I'm in my living room. Just pull up a big chair, get a fireplace going, a book and a nice cup of coffee. I, I could just relax up here. But um, praise God. And so I wanted to even just say this, you know, to, um, you know, I'm, I'm so encouraged because, you know, when I listen to, you know, Pastor Tim and, and Caleb and, and Warner and, and these younger guys uh, who have an opportunity to speak, I'm always encouraged because they bring the word. They bring the word, right? Caleb spoke last week. He brought the word. And, and I'm not sure who's going to be speaking next week or the week after. But here's what I would say. Continue to allow God to use you in the space that he has you in. Don't despise your youth. Right? God can use us in whatever season we're in. I'm in a different season now. And I thank God that there is no retirement plan with him. Because regardless of what season you find yourself in, God can use you. And so you just have to be a willing vessel. You just have to be a willing vessel. And so I wanted to come to you today, and before I get started and jump in, let's, let's bow our heads and, and invite. So God, I, I just thank you, Lord, for the worship team. Thank you, Lord, for the musicians. I thank you for your presence being here. God, we already sent your presence, Lord, because you've been amongst us, Lord. You said where there are two or three gathered in your name, you would be amongst us, and we thank you for that. And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would hide me behind your cross, that you would take my couple of fish, my few loaves, that you would hold it up, break it, multiply it, and allow it to feed your people. Encourage each and every one of our hearts, oh God, today through your word. Let the words that I speak, Lord, be your words, not my own, not trying to be clever, but just trying to speak truth so that each of us can be encouraged. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so on November 27th, 1996, the Utah Jazz trailed the Denver Nuggets by 36 points in the second quarter. The halftime score was 70 to 34. The Jazz overcame the deficit to win 107 to 103 in regulation. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Amen? August 5th, 2001. Cleveland Indians came back from a 12-run deficit to beat the Seattle Mariners 15 to 14 in extra innings. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. In 2016, now, these are the greatest comebacks in sports history. So last service, I got beat up when I mentioned this team. So I don't want to get beat up this time, so I'm just prefacing this. This is my default statement. These are the greatest comebacks of sports history. Super Bowl, New England Patriots. <laughs> wow. Trailed the Atlanta Falcons 28-3 with two minutes and six seconds to play in the third quarter. New England scored 25 unanswered points from four offensive drives. 
They tied the game with 57 seconds remaining in regulation, then won it with a touchdown on the first drive in overtime. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. So I entitled this talk, It's Not How You Start, It's How You Finish. Because we know a lot of people who started out great, especially when you read the Bible, but didn't finish well. But then we have some folks who started out a little shaky, but the Bible testifies that they finished very well. And so I want to highlight uh, someone who started out great, but didn't finish well. King Solomon, the wisest king for us to ever know. King Solomon, when you read 1 Kings 3, it's interesting because God gives him a visitation after he takes the throne. And God says to him, what do you want from me? And instead of Solomon asking for riches and everything else, he says, give me wisdom to lead your people. There are so many of them. And God says, not only am I going to give you wisdom, but I am going to make you rich and everything else. And so I think that's a good start. Solomon is, is asking God for wisdom. God says, I'm not even going to just give you wisdom. I'm going to make you rich. And the fact that you didn't even ask me to kill your enemies, because you know when kings took over back in those days, they wanted a clean house. So anyone they thought was their enemy, they were like, okay, we, we got to cut this out, especially from the previous king, but he was after his dad. But he didn't finish well. Because Solomon decided to intermarry he got involved with women from other cultures. And here's the sad commentary in 1 Kings 11. It says this. When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. He was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord, his God, as his father David had been. Solomon followed Ashtoreth, the god of goddess of the Sodomians, and Milcom, which was also known as Molech, the, the inherent idol of the Amorites, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. And unlike his father David, he did not remain loyal to the Lord. Solomon got involved in relationships that he should not have gotten involved in. And can I just say something? This is just a, a side note. There was a reason why God didn't want them to intermarry. And you know, when you read the Old Testament, it's types and shadows of the New Testament, a lot of it. And so can I just say this as a sidebar? Just, just be mindful. He was being unequally yoked. And so we are always warned to be not to be unequally yoked. And so this is a message for not just our sisters, for the brothers as well. Just because they are Christian doesn't mean you're equally yoked. <laughs> I, just, I just want to say that. Just because that, that should just be the, the basic foundation. 
But when you start to wrestle through the challenges of life, you begin to realize this might not be someone I want to do life with. And God revealed this to me. So just because they say they're a Christian doesn't mean you're equally yoked. Thank you, brother. (laughs) And so Solomon began to not only allow this to go on in his own household, he began to practice it. And so that speaks of spiritual erosion. Because he began to look at all these gods the same way he looked at the God that gave him that throne. Right? And so in his mind, they were all gods. Small G. Instead of serving the God, big G, that put him on that throne. And so someone might need to hear this. Be mindful of spiritual erosion. Because a lot of times you can let things in your life that can erode your relationship with the Lord. There can be some relationships you have in your life right now. And I know a lot of times when you hear relationship, you think men and women. But I'm talking about some friendships that God wants to eliminate in your life because they are toxic. And they are keeping you from fulfilling the call that God has on your life. You might be at a place of employment. Now, I'm not telling anyone to quit their job, but God has been telling you that I want to move you out of this place. And you've been holding on to it because you find security in that. Instead of, I got cheering section here. Instead of trusting God and knowing that he wants to move you. Trust me, if God opens the door for you, no one can close it. And if God closes the door, no one is going to open it. That's something you just got to stand on. And so you got to trust God for those things. We have to be mindful of the things we allow in our lives. You know, I once heard, talking with a pastor, he said, you know, Craig, listen, anything that has a bigger, you have bigger affection for than your relationship with Christ you should see that as an idol. Just think about that. Something that gives me more joy, more pleasure than my relationship with the one who died on the cross, who saved me, sanctified me, and now I get to spend eternal life with, I can find something on this earth that gives me greater joy than that. I need to look at that as an idol. And so back in those days, Solomon days, They had idols that were built out of stone, gold, and everything else. And those are the idols you can see. But the question I have for you is, what idols do you have sitting on the throne of your heart that others can't see? I always say to myself, Craig, sometimes you have to be honest with yourself and sometimes brutally honest when it comes to assessing where you are with your walk with the Lord. Because sometimes we don't even believe that's us. We go, no, that can't. And God is going, no, that, that's you. Don't, don't make excuses. That is you. And so Solomon, just think about this. 
Solomon experienced God's love and power like no one else, right? God chose Solomon contrary to the customs and expectations. He was given a special and personal name, Jedidai, loved by God. This, this is Solomon. This is King Solomon. Solomon received every benefit imaginable from the Lord. And then on top of that, Solomon had two visitations, not one, but two visitations from the Lord. Because if you go to 1 Kings 9, after he builds the temple, he has another visitation of God. If that's not enough to keep your heart centered on the one who put you where you are, then that just tells all of us that we have to be mindful of where we are. Because listen to this. He did not finish well. Solomon did not finish well. He allowed his heart to shift and be pulled by all the other things of this world. But that's not what I'm here to talk to you about. I just wanted to give you a little appetizer to get us in the right mind frame. Because there are three lives that I want to talk about that didn't start off as great. But the Bible testifies that they finished well. So the first one I want to look at is Peter. You know, Peter walked with Jesus. But Peter was known as the foot in the mouth apostle because he was always putting his foot in his mouth. He was the one who was always talking. And I say that with great, great caution. But he was the one who was, he even corrected Jesus when Jesus is trying to explain to him how he's going to die. Peter is the one who's correcting him. Peter is the one who told Jesus on the night before he was betrayed and went to the cross that, hey, I don't know why you put some of these cats on the team, but listen, I'm going to go with you to the death. These other guys you put on the team, not sure, they're questionable. John, ah, he's a little shaky. James, you could have put someone else on. Thomas, he's always doubting. Come on, why'd you put him on? And I love the fact that Luke doesn't pull punches. Here's what Luke says on that night, right? Because about Peter. Jesus has predicted that he's going to deny him. Jesus has already predicted this. He had to, it got so bad, and this is, he got so bad where he had to say to Peter at one point, Peter, Peter. The enemy has asked me that he might sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Peter, that you will restore your brothers. In other words, Pete, you're going to fall. All this hype you're giving me about you being with me, you're going to fall. And, 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 and Luke captures it this way in Luke 22, 60 through 62. He says, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. 
So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. It's interesting that Luke is the only one in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that highlights the fact that after Peter denies Jesus, Jesus actually looks in his eyes. How do you think he got that? He talked to Peter. Can you imagine being Peter, having this conversation with Luke, and you have to come to a place where you have to admit, hey, listen, I, I really talked myself up, but here's what really happened when the rubber met the road. Why? Because Peter was afraid. He saw what his master was going through, and Peter didn't want to go through that. But even before that, though, he was saying, no, I'll, I'll, go, to, I'll go to death. And he denied him. We have Peter captured here in his words. My question to you is, where have you denied Christ? Because we've all denied him some way, shape, or form. Maybe not verbally, but as they always say, our actions speak louder than our words. And so what actions have you taken? What things have you done? What places have you go? Have you gone, excuse me, where you've denied Christ? You feel this level of conviction on your life to the extent where you go, wow, I, I shouldn't even be in this. It's, it's, I get a bad vibe about this. This friendship, I shouldn't be in this friendship. I get a bad vibe about this. Because trust me, Peter was telling the other guys they weren't worthy of walking with Jesus. And when Jesus rebuked them and told them what was going to happen, and now it comes full circle, Peter realizes, uh-oh. But here's the thing. Peter gets full of the Holy Spirit, and now he's a different Peter. Why? Because we haven't captured an Acts. Right after they got filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter is empowered in such a way that he begins to speak and say, hey, these people are not drunk. But then as he's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, he says, you're the one who killed them. He's being bold. This is a different Peter. And I love the fact that in John 21, Peter's death is actually predicted by Jesus. He says, truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. If you don't know, Peter died a martyr's death by being crucified upside down. Historians believe the reason why Peter requested to be crucified upside down, because he denied Christ and didn't feel that he was worthy to die the same way 
His Savior died. He ended well. He ended well. He may have started out shaky, but he ended well. So it's not how you start, it's how you end. I like what one commentator said, he says this, Peter's love for Jesus and his desire to obey and glorify him with, were evident throughout the rest of his life and ministry. For Peter to die a martyr's death, clinging to the hope of heaven, testified to the courage, faith, patience, and perseverance of this great man of God, who rejoiced to be counted worthy to die for the name of Jesus. Peter ended well. May have gotten off a little shaky, but Peter ended well. The other life I want to look at is Saul. Most of us know him as the Apostle Paul, but before then, Saul was the biggest skeptic. And God took the biggest skeptic that was known and made him his biggest mouthpiece. Because Paul wrote literally two-thirds of the New Testament. And, and, and here's the thing. Stephen gets stoned. Saul is there because in Acts 8, 1 through 3, it says Saul agreed with putting him to death. Him who? Stephen. After they stoned him. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. Paul was going around persecuting the church. And then he has his encounter on the Damascus road with Jesus. The risen king. And it changes the trajectory of Paul's life. Started out shaky. But it changed the trajectory of his life to the extent where we know because Jesus, when he talks to Ananias, he tells Ananias, he is going to suffer for the cause of my name. And if anyone knows, if you read Paul's letters and you read the the book of Acts, Paul suffered. He suffered for the name of Christ. He took beatings. He took stonings. He was shipwrecked. He talks about it. He even said that I was a Pharisee of all Pharisees. As for the law, (laughs) no one could touch me. Just just think about Paul's credentials. He was a Pharisee. Some of you may not know this, but to be a Pharisee, you had to know the entire Old Testament off the top of your head. There was no cheat sheet. You had to be able to quote the entire Old Testament to be a Pharisee. And the thing is, is some of you may not know, but it's, it's talked about Paul studied at the feet of Gamil. Now, you may not know that name, but back then, Gamil was a heavy hitter. I, I like to, I don't know how many Star Wars fans we have in here. 
I'm a big Star Wars guy. But I like, and just for let you know, even though I'm a big Star Wars guy, I think it's great entertainment, bad theology. There is no epic struggle against good and evil. Jesus is, Jesus is one at all. And so I always tell people, we don't fight for victory. We always fight from a place of victory. Because Jesus has already claimed the victory. So there's no epic struggle between Christ and the devil. So that's bad theology. But what I do is I liken Gamil to Yoda. You know, Yoda was the Jedi of all Jedis. Gamil, back in those days, he was one of the most respected Pharisees. And Paul studied at his feet. And how do we know he was respected? If you recall, when Peter and John was a up in front of the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they didn't know what to do with these guys. They send them out of the room, and who do they go to? They call Gamil in, and they say, hey, Gamil, what do you think of these guys? And Gamil tells them, watch how you treat these men. I'm going to paraphrase. Watch how you treat these men, because there's been some that's come and gone, but let me tell you something. If this is of God, then you're not fighting against man. You're fighting against God. And so they were careful with how they dealt with Peter and John after that. So Gamil carried weight. But I love this because Paul, in his second letter to his spiritual son, Timothy, he shows a snapshot and to how vulnerable he's feeling. He says this in 2 Timothy 4, 6. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearance. This is God's word testifying to this guy, Paul. And so it's not how you start. Not sure where you are in your walk with the Lord, but it's not how you start. It's how you finish. Because I believe Paul finished well. And if you don't know, Paul was, this is his second imprisonment in Rome. He was beheaded for the name of Christ. He was beheaded. That's not a nice way to go. But he counted it joy. Because if you read in Philippians, he says, to, be with, to die is gain. To die. Because he wanted, hey, I'd rather be with Christ right now. I'd rather be with Christ right now. But he knew he still had a course and, and, and to run out because he says, I've run my course. Each and every one of us that's sitting here, starting with the guy that's up here on this stage, has a course that God has mapped out for us. And he wants us to run it well. Newsflash. 
God will never put you in a situation for you to fail. That's not the God we serve. The devil may put you in a situation to fail, but God will never put you in a situation to fail. He always has our best interest at heart to accomplish what he's trying to accomplish in our lives. And so each of you have a course. And it's not how you start it, it's how you finish. It's how you finish the course that God has mapped out to you. Now, I know some of you might be sitting there saying, well, you know what? Peter walked with, God, with Jesus. So listen, I, I didn't walk with Jesus. We get it. Peter walked with Jesus. And then some of you might be sitting there and saying, well, Paul had an encounter with the risen Jesus. And so I, I can get why Paul now could get to a place where he's going to finish well. But I'm glad you asked. Because the last life I want to look at is just like all of us that's in this room. Just an ordinary guy. And I'm a true believer that God can take an ordinary person and do extraordinary things in their lives and through their lives. And so I want to look at this young man who's first mentioned in Acts 12, 12. James was dismartyred. Peter's in prison. Angel of the Lord comes, wakes Peter, Peter up, breaks him out of prison, and takes him to a house. And it says this in Acts 12, 12. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was called Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. Mark is the young man I want to talk about right now. That's known as John Mark. Peter gets out of prison. He goes to Mary's house. Now, some of you may not know this, but historians believe that that house was the house where the Pentecost took place because it was a fairly big house. She had an upper room. So they were well to do because they had a gate around their home. Remember, the servant girl Rhoda came and saw Peter and then ran back into the house while they were praying for Peter's release. It's interesting. One commentator said this. He goes, isn't it interesting that all the gates that Peter was able to get out of to get to the house, the one gate he wanted to get into, he couldn't. Why? Because he was left outside. Rhoda sees him, runs back in and says, hey, I think I saw Peter out there. It reminded me of a friend of mine who his father died a couple of years ago. And so I'm at the, I go to the funeral to, to, to sit in and I'm reading his father's obituary and I'm going, uh, something doesn't add up here. This, this can't be this guy's father because you had to know the guy. He was, he was one of those guys. And so when you read his father's obituary, he was a civil rights attorney. And when you start to see that, here's a guy that was with Martin Luther King, Abernathy, and all these other great civil rights historians. And I'm looking and I'm going, 
this can't be his father because I know him. They say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, so he must have rolled a couple of hundred yards from the tree because he is not the guy I would think would have a father like this. So I'm talking with him after the funeral, and I say, hey, I, I never knew this about your dad. And the other thing is, he was the attorney for Roger Nelson when he wanted to get his own master's. Now, that might have went over your head. But Roger Nelson was the artist formerly known as Prince. <laughs> he was Prince's attorney when he wanted to get his own master's from the record company. And I said to him, I said, hey, so what, what's the deal? You, you actually saw Dr. King, Abernathy, and all these guys? And he looked at me and goes, oh, yeah, they were always at the house whenever they came. He says, I was like three, four years old. I, didn't, I couldn't comprehend what these guys were up to. They, they were always coming in. I was like, bro, you, are you kidding me? You around these civil rights giants. Roy Wilkinson, all these, I, I mean, he goes, oh, yeah. You know, my, bro my brothers decided to go that way, not me. I was like, yeah, obviously. But you see, Mark started out real shaky because even though he was in that space, when he goes on his first mission trip with Paul and Barnabas, Acts 13, 13 says this, Paul and his companions, this is the first time it switched over because before it was Barnabas, then Saul. Now it's saying Paul and his companions. So Paul is now taking the leadership role of this team. Set sail to Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. But John left them and went back to Jerusalem. John was used to being in the comforts of Jerusalem. Now he's, if you, you, you ever get a chance and you go through Acts 13, he's feeling the heat because now their lives are being threatened. He's seeing possible imprisonment. He's seeing uh, all types of persecution. And so John goes, hey, man, I'm going back to Jerusalem. This is, this is too much for me. This is, this is overwhelming. And we've all been there as Mark, right? We think and we have in our minds how things are going to work out. And when they don't, we go, you know what, Lord? This is not quite what I had in mind when I said I wanted to commit my ways to you, when I wanted to accept you into my life. I, I, I thought this was going to be a great experience. And I thought I was going to feel good about this. Newsflash. The Lord is not really caught up into your feelings. <laughs> I, I think... We live in a culture now that has allowed feelings to cannibalize truth. And that's a problem. He's called us to live away, and this Christian walk is not easy. We just talked about Paul. When I read the New Testament, 
And I see what these guys went through. If you ever get a chance, and I'm quite sure you have, when you look at the Hall of Faith, Hebrews 11, it said that people were sword in half. Mothers received their dead. People were fed to the lions. That tells you this Christian walk will be difficult, especially in this culture. It's not an easy cakewalk. But sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, we do the same thing that Mark does. But it even gets worse because in Acts 15, I love the fact that Luke doesn't pull punches. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, John, who was called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia. I love the fact that it says he left, but now it says he deserted them. In other words, they woke up. <laughs> I hate to say it. They woke up and they're going, hey, Mark. And there's no Mark around. He deserted them. He just cut out. He didn't even tell, he didn't even tell his cousin Barnabas that he was leaving. He just left them. He just abandoned his post. He left his assignment because, trust me, Paul and Barnabas wouldn't have taken him along if they didn't feel he could do it. Why? Because before they even left, when you read early in that chapter, they prayed over them, they laid hands on them, and then sent them out. So there must have been something in John Mark that they saw that said, no, he, he can come with us. Because he went with them when they were doing the relief fund earlier in chapter uh, 12, verse 25. He was with them then, but now it gets tough. And we've all been there. We've all abandoned our post. We've all turned our back on the Lord. But it's not how you start, it's how you finish. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Because even as a result of this, these guys split ways. It says this in Acts 15, 39. It says, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed. After being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord. I threw that in there because... I thought someone might need to hear this. Do you realize that even though these guys part ways, they didn't go off on their own? Barnabas started assembling a, a new team. He, he got Mark, his cousin, right? Uh, even though he had just left, but Mark had uh, Mark, son of encouragement. That's what his name meant. So he's trying to encourage his young cousin saying, hey, listen, I know you dropped the ball, you cut out, you deserted, but I'm believing that God is going to turn this thing around in your life. Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, understood for him to carry out God's mission, he couldn't do it on his own. So what does he do? He assembles a new team. He gets Silas. He picks up Timothy. He gets Demas. He gets all these other guys, Occupus. You name them. You go down the list. So for anyone here who thinks they're a long-ranger Christian, 
Let me tell you something. You weren't meant to do this on your own. You can't live out this faith on your own. When you read the book of Acts, and I love what it says in Acts 2 and Acts 6, it says in Acts 4, it says all the believers were in one heart, one mind, sharing with their belongings so that no one went in one. In other words, they created community. We need each other. We need each other. Yes, I know sometimes it gets difficult working through the challenges and the quirks and the personalities, but we need each other to be able to run the course that God has called us to run out. So we can't do this alone. But here's the thing that really encourages me about our dear brother John Mark, because Paul mentions him in Colossians. 410, he says, Atticus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin, concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. So what happened? Before, Paul didn't even want to be with this guy. Now, Paul is writing about him in his closing comments, in his letters. Philemon. Aparis, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark. He's talking about that same John Mark. Something must have gone on in Mark's life after going off with his cousin Barnabas that he really became committed. And I thank God that he just didn't lay on the mat, have a pity party, woe is me, like some of us do, but he got off the mat. See, that was his halftime, right? That incident that took place was his halftime. If you don't know what I mean, in, in, in sports, in basketball and in, in football, there's a halftime. So the first half may not work out for you, right? You might be losing. And what happens in the locker room during halftime is this. If you are down... The coach is telling you, okay, we got to change our strategy. We got to change the game plan because right now we find ourselves down by 20 points. We got to do something different. That was his halftime. And so Barnabas says, we got to do something different. And I love the fact that Paul, at his most vulnerable state, He's writing his final letter to his spiritual son, Timothy. He says this in 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 11. Make every effort to come to me soon because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescent has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmata, only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you. For he is, he is useful to me in the ministry. This is Paul. He's at that place now where he understands his days are numbered. But he says, bring Mark. Yeah, bring that guy that I didn't want around me before. But bring him because he's been helpful in the ministry. 
And you know, Matthias, you can come. I'm, I'm, I'm going to land this plane in a second. I know I'm over time. I apologize. But I love the fact that even Peter testifies to Mark's commitment. First Peter 5, 13, he says, she who is in Babylon, he's talking about the church, chosen together with you, send you sends you greeting, as does Mark, my son. Peter refers to him as a son. Historians don't believe that Mark began to be discipled by Peter, but what they do believe is that the reason we have the gospel of Mark is because Mark was Peter's mouthpiece of his story, of his travels with Jesus. And so in that time, you got to imagine, it's not like today where you just type things out on a computer. Mark spent time with Peter, capturing what Peter had experienced walking with Jesus. And there must have been some bond that was created to the extent where Peter could now look at Mark and say, you are my son, my spiritual son. It's not how he started. It's how he finished. It's how he finished. And so we have a snapshot of Peter, Paul. We have a snapshot of Mark. And I'll close with this. If you've ever um, received an email from me, you may, uh, if you ever listen to my voicemail, um, sometimes in my text messages, it has a tagline that I've been using for 15 plus years. It says, run to win. So when I got into running, people would see that come across and go, oh, so you came up with that because you run. And I go, no, I just started running in 2018. <laughs> I've had that tagline for 15 plus years. And here's where the tagline comes from. 1 Corinthians 9.24. Paul says this, do you not know that all the runners who run in a race compete for a prize? So you too should run in such a way that you might win. I just shortened it and just said run to win. The reason I did that is because I was heavily involved in sports ministry. I was doing chapel for professional and college teams. And what I realized is this, in all my years of playing sports and everything is, some people are just happy with being on the team. They're just happy they made the team. I'm not happy with wearing the colors of the cross, just wearing them. I'm not happy with just being a part of Team Jesus. I want to win. I want my life to count for something, and I want to win. So that when I see the one with eyes of fire and I'm standing face to face to him, he can say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. You didn't do it the best, but you did it. And you left it all out there on the field of play. That's my prayer for each and every one of you. 
whether you're in this room, whether you're watching online, or whether you'll see this sometime later, is that you will leave it all out there on the field of play when it comes to this game called life and living out your Christian faith. This might be your halftime. And God is telling you, I want to use you. I, I want to do some things in you and through you and for you, but I need you to reorient yourself and get rightly aligned with what I'm trying to do in your life. This might be your first quarter. It might just be the third quarter, but know that there's a fourth quarter. It's never too late. It's never too late. And so wherever you might be in your walk with the Lord, it may not be the way you wanted it to be when you started this walk. But trust me, as long as God gives you breath in your lungs, you can finish well. Let's bow our heads. Father, I lift up the entire house for Lord I think this is for all of us we all want to finish well and so Lord whether it's the first second half time quarter in our lives, oh God. Father, I just pray that you would just speak to each and every one of us and meet us right where we are. Just like, Lord Jesus, when you walked the earth, you met people right where they were. And that we would refocus we will reorient our lives in such a way that by your spirit, you can work in us and through us and for us, for your glory and for your honor. Lord, I pray that we each will run the course that you've mapped out for us. putting off all the things that might entangle us, that might keep us from running well. But most of all, Lord, I just pray that our hearts will be inclined towards you and that our ears will be attentive to your voice. Speak to each and every one of us whether it's in your still small voice, whether it's through your word, or whether you use someone to speak a word into our lives in season. Because all of us want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. 
That's why we run this race. We may not get accolades along the way. We may not even get noticed. But as long as our lives are pleasing to you, and we get to spend all eternity That is the ultimate prize. So thank you, Lord, that it's not how we have started the race, but it's truly about how we finish. In Jesus the Christ's name we pray. Amen.